Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Marcus Shop to my Joseph Lauman. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm absolutely exhausted. I was at the uh, Barnsley Derby game last night and lo and behold, I was stuck in traffic coming out of Barnsley and on the M1, so I'm absolutely cream crackered today. What time did you go? Uh, about quarter past 12. Uh, okay, yeah, I can understand it then because uh, you probably wouldn't have actually gone to sleep until about one o'clock, would you? Because I was just silently raging at the lacklustre display from Derby, yes. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll talk right. about that in a sec. <laughs> we've got a lot to talk about on the show this week. We've had some crackers results in terms of shocks and massive score lines. But this is, of course, the number one championship specific podcast, ladies and gentlemen. The second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, that's right. We're going to run through all the games from the midweek games in the championship. Talk about some of the news from the past few days. And there has been some massive news in the past few days, <laughs> Justin, uh, which we'll get on to uh, very later on in the show. And then we'll finish off with with Craig Bryson, pub quiz as always on a Thursday. But before we kick off this jam-packed show, may I tell you, listener, about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company which supports charities and causes important to fans. When you sign up to fansbet.com, you get a welcome offer of bet 10, get 10. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site, 18+. plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out Fansbet Responsible Gambling Tools. Also, make sure you follow them at Fansbet on Twitter to get more from the two of us. We've been answering questions and debating on their account most recently. Who is the best penalty taker ever in the championship? For more questions like that and a whole lot more, it's at Fansbet on Twitter. Justin, let's kick things off with Blackburn nil, Fulham 7. The second biggest away win in championship history. It was a grand spanking of the highest order, Justin. It it really was. And um, I mean, I I watched all the goals and I felt sorry for Blackburn uh, a little bit because Fulham just turned it on to another level last night in terms of finishing. Uh, There was quite a few where they were just so accurate. Some of the shots, you look at both the Harry Wilson goals. How often does uh, a keeper uh, save one of those? You know, it, it, more often than not, really. Um, but it just highlights the quality in the side. And Mitrovic only scored one. Mitrovic only scored one, which means we can talk about other players because you've got like the likes of Cabano coming in and and and, and scoring twice, and and Rodrigo Muniz as well. It just highlights the quality in this side and it's it's dripping with it. And as I say, I felt sorry for Blackburn because they just came up against a Fulham side who were just so good just so so good yeah Fulham were 2-0 up after 20 20 minutes which is never a good start from a Blackburn point of view but then Jean-Paul Van Hecker was sent off after 30 minutes for what is essentially a drop kick I'm not really sure what he was trying to do but if you're looking for the equivalent of a drop kick in football then that was it so being down to 10 men for around an hour is not ideal against one of the best teams in the league Having said that, I thought some of the Blackburn defending was a bit embarrassing at times, but I fully take Mm. the points that obviously Fulham were amazing. They were fluent, ruthless, and most importantly, clinical. Um, Some people who aren't uh, a bit sceptical about expected goals will be furious to hear that West Brom had had a better expected goals <laughs> in midweek than Fulham did but it was just ultimately Fulham took their chances and every time they seemed to get a chance it went in the back of the net this is what I mean like I, I did feel sorry for Rovers at points because uh, Fulham were just incredibly good at taking chances as you say and obviously XG is not the be all and end all but if a side who wins 1-0 creates more chances than you and you've won 7-0 <laughs> Yeah, you might go, well, what, what is this formula? What, what is it based on? But it just highlights the quality that the individuals have in that squad. And when Mitrovic, when you win 7-0 and your top goal scorer only scores one, you know, everyone else is chiming in. It's a very good place to be. They lost Adarabaya at the weekend to a three-game ban as well. So they didn't even have their best centre-half in, in, in the side as well. So, yeah, it's a very good side. And it's a Blackburn side who I've got a pretty good home record as well. Let's be honest, they're, they're not bad at home. Well, they're not, they're not the worst team in the world, are they? They just no, come from good. a two-game winning streak. I say streak. 
winning two games on the bounce. Um, but the really impressive thing is, as you mentioned earlier, is that Mitrovic only scored the one. Um, so for having you know goals coming from all over the place is just exceptional for them, um, considering I think many people could have pointed the finger at Fulham and say, well, there's a lot of reliance on Mitrovic, considering I think he scored like 60% of their goals or contributed at least mm-hmm. uh, to 60% of their goals um, this season. But when you're able to bring on a striker who cost, what, six million pounds from the Brazilian league it's not a bad replacement is it um but yeah Fulham were just exceptional they've got depth all over the place and this was them at their ruthless best they've now scored 20 goals in five games since the last international break may I remind you that in that gap between the last international breaks they weren't very good so Hmm. I'm sure that after this international break they'll go back to being bang average again but we'll wait and see on that one um what can you really say from a Blackburn point of view here Justin um, it's I, I I saw a lot of the the fans tweeting like Mowbray out and whatnot, and it's very easy to be emotional after being absolutely panned seven 0 at home by Fulham. Um, I don't think Blackburn will be the last side to get absolutely spanked by Fulham at home this season. Um, not maybe not by seven, um, but it, it, as I say, it's just very easy to be emotional about it. It's just a case of just dish yourselves down and go again in the next game because this will be a one off. Um, it, it, there's no, there's no, there's not much else you can say. It's, it's hard to come up words to find some positives out of the game. I think the only positive you can think of is West Brom scored a higher xG than Fulham, so Fulham didn't actually create as many chances. They just took them, but well, it's not really what when you, want you to lose seven 0 There aren't any positives, are there? Quite frankly, but I think positives. I think Tony Mowbray pretty much hit it nail on the head after the game and he said you've just got to take it on the chin because they're not a side that have been playing particularly badly recently this was just a freak result I think and it's one of them where it happens sometimes you know the other team is just having a really really good day a very good day (laughs) a very good day and when you're down to 10 men for around an hour and you're up against that team who is having a very very good day there's not much you can do at the end of the day. But Fulham just two points behind Bournemouth now, whose unbeaten start to the season has come to an end. They were beaten 2-1 at home to Preston in a very shocking result, to say the very least. Justin, can you provide any explanation as to how this result happened? I'll be honest with you. I think it was a very good tactical win by Frankie McAvoy. Um, I think you've got to give him credit in this game. I thought he got his tactics in his game plan spot on. And he's done that on quite a few occasions for Preston. But for me, um, I think Preston were marginally probably the better side. Black, uh, Bournemouth were just a little bit lacklustre and, and, and Preston were able to capitalise on that. And with their game plan, they saw the game out. And it's good to see uh, Ali McCante grabbing a goal as well. And hopefully he can uh, he can kick on. Ali McCante. Um, you didn't make that up, did you? I, I didn't. I'm not that smart. I'm not no, that witty. I, was say. <laughs> I think you're actually spot on, but I don't think many Preston fans would look at Frankie McAvoy and say he's a tactical genius, but he showed here that he, he does know what he's doing when it comes to making his team hard to beat because Bournemouth just couldn't break Preston down. Scott Parker said after the game that his side lacked creativity, and I think that is pretty spot on, but I do think that's plenty in part to Preston just keeping it solid at the back and limiting mm-hmm. Bournemouth to a very minute number of chances. Apart from the goal, there was only one other real golden opportunity that they had and that came right at the end when Jamal Lowe missed a massive chance. But Preston were absolutely fantastic. I didn't give them any hope heading into this game. I thought it may be a case of how many do Bournemouth score. Um, (laughs) But they did deserve it, didn't they? They did, as I say, I think they're the marginally the better side. Tom Barkhausen was was causing all kinds of havoc on that right hand side, getting balls across. Um and then you've got midfield runners. Uh, Preston have got a lot of legs in their midfield. Um and it's something that they should probably use a little bit more in their game plans because you've got the likes of Ben Whiteman who will run for days and Ali McCante is not called Ali McCante for nothing, he'll cover every blade of grass. Um there's there's opportunities there to get balls into the edge of the area, like they did here. Both of their goals came from late runs in the box, so there's plenty of positives there for Preston to um, to kick on. And it was a very good team performance. It wasn't just individuals who, who saw the game through. Jakobsen was very good at holding the ball up. You mentioned the defence doing their part as well. It was a very good team performance from Preston. And it's and it's a benchmark now to, to try and kick on and, and really start to improve. Well, it'll be interesting to see if Ali McCann, um, I'm not going to call him Ali McCann, <laughs> um, starts more games because he hasn't really featured much mm. uh, for Preston so far this season after signing in the summer. But this was a really good performance from him. It was a really good performance from every Preston player, to be fair. Um, and playing that flat 
back five really made them, you know, really difficult to break down. I can't see them, you know, putting it out for every single game that they're going to play mm. this season. But when it come up against the big sides, then it really does a job on them. They hadn't won away prior to this game and only scored two away goals all season. So massive, massive boost for them. And it's not a bad place to get your first three points away from home, is it? Um, I think Bournemouth was sorely missing having a natural left-back because Jordan Zamora was missing for this game. They had Chris Meppen, who's obviously a centre-half, playing on the left. Um, and I don't think that helped things. I think they missed having that width that Zamora mm-hmm. provides. Unfortunately, he's going to be out for quite a while from the looks of it because he's I think he's got to have surgery on, his, uh, on an ankle injury. So he's going to be a big miss. And whether that becomes more of an issue for Bournemouth over the coming weeks we'll have to wait and see but Scott Parker says he thinks it's a blip do you think it will be I think it is a blip they probably need these sorts of games I say this about the top sides when they lose um, unexpectedly they probably learn more about the side in them defeats than they do in in the unbeaten games Um, it will it will prove to be a massive learning curve for Scott Parker and his team because as you say they came up against a very low block in in Preston, a back five at times, as you as you mentioned. Um, so they've got to find ways to navigate around that and, and and improve in these games, as well as that. The goals they conceded, I mentioned from Preston's perspective, it's very good getting runners from deep, but you've got to be very disciplined defensively, uh, especially if you're chasing the game or if it's one one. You've got to be you've got to be switched on. And Bournemouth weren't um, just on the left back issue. They've got Leif Davis and Robbie Brady as well, so there's plenty of options there. And obviously Lloyd Kelly was a natural left-back before he moved centrally and Chris Mappham's a natural centre-half. So it just seems, from a balance perspective, it, it makes sense to switch Mappham and, and, and cut it. I don't know. It just seems strange. And obviously you've got Brady and no, Davis. You're absolutely right. I completely forgot Leif Davis was there. Um, and if you're bringing him in, surely he is there to be the backup left-back. So why are you playing a centre-half mm. at left-back? I'm not really too sure. But it'll be interesting to see how Scott Parker's side responds. They've got a tricky game against Swansea at the weekend, mm-hmm. who we'll talk about right now, Justin, because Coventry's unbeaten run at home has finally come to an end after they lost 2-1 to the Swans. Um, the two players who did the damage for Swansea were two men who are just doing the business for them quite regularly at the moment, Jamie Patterson and Joel Pirro, or as they're now going to be known on this podcast, Justin, Pap. Pap. Um, I don't really know what to say to that. Um, Pap, yeah. Pap, Pap. Um, yeah, that's going to happen quite a lot, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I hope they don't score for the rest of the season now. But um, but no, Swansea's, Swansea were incredible uh, at times, scintillating. Um, I saw a lot of Coventry fans saying that um, they they viewed Swansea as the, the best side to come to the CBS Arena this season. I, I thought the same when, when Swansea came to Pride Park. They just lacked that finishing touch. They had that in this game. They've had that for a few weeks now. I really do think if, if Swansea can find a good balance and keep players fit, then they, they can be an outsider for the playoffs this season because, hands down, I think they play the best football in the league. Well, yeah, they definitely play the best football in the league, don't they? As you say, you saw them against Derby uh, not too long ago, but they just were lacking that cutting edge in the mm-hmm. final third, I think, weren't they? But I think this is a landmark result for Swansea in the way that I think it really puts the rest of the championship on notice. Last month, they obviously had... Big wins against Cardiff and Peterborough, but you could easily say they weren't the toughest of opposition for different reasons. Um, then they had that really impressive result against West Brom, but that was followed up by a not-so-impressive loss to Birmingham. So they had good results on the boards, but there were still question marks that you could throw at them yeah. for each of those respective results. Um, but this one, for me, um, is a really, really impressive one because Coventry have been untouchable at home this season, haven't they? Not so long ago, they made Fulham look like mugs and mm. Swansea have rocked up and turned them over. And, Ro- and Russell Martin has finally got things working. It took a bit of time for them to start um, this transition, but now it's really paying off. And the Swans look really good, really good. The best bit about them is they're playing the Swansea way, Justin. <laughs> Attractive passing football. Um if there's one concern I'd have, it's that they're possibly a bit too reliant on Patterson and Piero. Swansea have only managed two goals this season, which haven't involved either of them. But there is no denying that this is an exciting time to be a Swansea fan. And as you quite rightly say, at the moment, you're only looking up for Swansea and they're not far off from the playoffs either. Um, one win from five for Coventry after their fantastic tar- start to the season, which surprised many. Um, the unbeaten run at home is now over as well. It's a question that's got to be asked, Justin. Could this be the start of Coventry sliding down the table? Um, to be 
to be very blunt, I think it is. I think I've I've I believe that there there's been a dip in the performances. I look back to that Coventry Derby game, which which obviously I was at as well, which which helps. Um, Coventry lacked a bit of spark in that final, so it didn't really test Ruse. One one was a fair result. They dropped off in the second half, allowed Derby back into the game. That seemed to filter in the next few games, and then coming up against Swansea here, you've got to be on it against Swansea. That don't think Coventry came out of the blocks at all. Um, I thought they were a little bit slow coming out, which obviously Swansea going two up within the first 15, 20 minutes showcases that a little bit. There are players dipping in form as well. I think Callum O'Hare is getting a fair bit of stick, which is unfair. Um, but if your creative players aren't um, aren't doing the business for you, then you're going to struggle to create chances. And that's essentially what's happened to Coventry over the last few games. Well, Jokeres has gone a bit quiet now as well, hasn't mm-hmm. he? Um, which yeah. is not ideal considering they were relying quite a lot on his goals um, in the early parts of the season. I, for once, am going to sit on the fence as to whether this is Coventry's uh, slide down the table beginning. Um, I will say I'll be surprised if they finish in the top six just because there are quite a few teams now who are eyeing up that top six when I say three of the places are already settled for three of the big boys. Um but at the same time, Coventry were playing so well in the early part of the season that I'd be very surprised if we don't see that team again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like previous seasons where teams have started really well, but not actually been reflecting in the performances on the pitch. Coventry have been really good in their performances. And yes, they've had a bit of downturn in performances recently, but I, my instinct is it may only be a temporary thing. Whether they you know, maintain the form long enough to stay in the top six. I think I'll be surprised to see that, but I don't think we're going to see them dramatically slide down the table um, at the very least. Um, They've got Bristol City at home this weekend, which should be a gimme, it's got to be said. We'll talk about them a bit later on. If they don't get a result there, then I think alarm bells could be ringing Mm. for plenty of people, including myself. Neil Warnock has broken the record for the most games managed in English professional football after taking charge of Middlesbrough in their match away at Luton. He's overseen 1,602 games. I can't imagine this one is going to rank very highly, though, on his favourite ones because Luton beat them 3-1 after scoring three in five minutes. I think it's only right that Mr Warnock celebrates this marvellous occasion by doing what he's been doing for the last 1,601 games, and that's moaning about referees. Mm-hmm. To be fair, he had a stonewall penalty turned down, didn't he, when Borough were 1-0 up? Mm, yeah, it was uh, the trip on Isaiah Jones, wasn't it? It was quite an obvious one um, from Dan Potts. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, there was quite a few over the last couple of days, actually, that I thought might have been penalties, and obviously once some that... Um, went away as well but yeah it was a, a disappointing game from from Borough's perspective to concede three goals in the space of five minutes on the back of the weekend where they did the same thing against Birmingham City uh, you've got to question concentration levels from some very experienced players in that side um, and as well as that you've got players like uh, Marcus Tavernier whose form has dipped so creativity um, it, it, they're lacking a little bit in, in that front because they've got good players going forward you've got likes of uh, Sparrow and obviously Matt Crooks sweeping up in and around the in around the box as well they're not getting enough chances at the minute and um, it's starting to show in these games because yeah Luton scored three three times in five minutes and Borough couldn't reply yeah I thought Middlesbrough actually quite flat in the second mm-hmm. half and they seemed pretty shell-shocked after Luton scored those three goals in five minutes and it <clears throat> from that point on it didn't look like Middlesbrough were ever going to get back into the game Um, and I think once again it's going to bring up questions about Neil Warnock's future he's obviously reached this marvellous marvellous milestone but how much longer he's going to have after that is going to be interesting to see we had Johnny from the Borough Breakdown on at the weekend didn't we and he was saying despite results improving many fans were still looking for a change in the dugout I was texting him yesterday. He reckons it's now 70-30 who want Warnock out Mm. after this result. Can you sympathise with that, Justin? I I can. I mean, uh, we we talked about it not too long ago, I think, even when uh, Borough in that really good run of form. So it's it's quite fair to suggest that a change is needed. There's some spiky comments in the post-match press conference as well about Kieran Scott, the the new head of recruitment um, from Warnock as well. So it just tells you exactly... (laughs) where they are at the minute it just seems to be a strange relationship and I think I think it's probably the right time that that Warnock moves on and and Borough find a manager that is more of a long-term appointment I think from Warnock's perspective this might be his last season I think he's got one more job in him 
I think he's got one more job in him. Well, it's not the first time he'll have said that this is my last job and then suddenly he rocks up somewhere else a few weeks later. So it wouldn't surprise me. But nonetheless, just focusing on Middlesbrough for a sec, I think I said this a few weeks ago before the upturning results, but it still stands true now. Obviously, we love Neil Warnock on this show, Justin. Mm -hmm. Of course we do. But I don't really see the point of persisting with him in charge of the club if it isn't moving in the right right direction. Right now, they're treading water and not really doing anything. They're certainly not going to go down, are they? So why not bring in that long-term appointment now? Because Warnock's not going to be there next season. They may as well get a new man in now and have a crack at the playoffs this season while they've still got time to do it because the squad's good enough. Otherwise, Borough fans are just going to be waiting around until next season and this one is going to be a complete waste of time, quite frankly, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, Let's give Luton some praise, though, because we haven't really spoken about them much in this short segment on the show. Um, It was a brilliant way for Nathan Nathan Jones's boys to bounce back after that disappointing loss to Preston. Yeah, and and to do it in the manner they did. um, Three goals in five minutes... You know, we've spoken about them being more clinical. They have got more clinical, um, but it just shows that you, know, you get three chances in five minutes. You take all three. There's definitely an attitude shift and a, a mentality shift in your side to be more aggressive in front of goal, and they're doing that. And that's why Luton are real contenders for the playoffs this season. I know you've you've chimed on about it for a long time. I've got bored of hearing you say it, but it's very hard not to. It's very hard not to um, get excited by this Luton team, and you've got the likes of Adebayo as well coming in and and taking his chance the way he did. The, the, the ball from Mpanzu, who I messaged you about 10 minutes before that said, I think he's overrated. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then he pulls off he pulls off a very, very composed assist for uh, Adebayo. Um, yeah, there's a lot of quality in this side. Even Harry Cornick getting involved, it was a very good finish from Harry Cornick, who may have missed that last season. So there's definitely been a, an upturn in quality from these players, which comes down to mentality. Well, Adebayo and Cornick up front... They're proving to be one of the tidiest partnerships in the division, aren't they? They're the only team, mm-hmm. Luton, to have two players with seven or more goals each this season. And those two are just being absolutely brilliant, aren't they? It's been a masterstroke by Nathan Jones putting those two up front together because they work so well. And I think we have spoken about it recently where, you know, Cornick is the one who's stretching defences with his pace. Um, Adebayo's the big bully up front. He's knocking it down to Cornick. Um, but they both work so hard as well, don't they? And they're also creating chances for other players at the same time. So it's proving really difficult for teams to keep a leash on them when they are, mm-hmm. you know, so brilliant athletically, but at the same time working so hard at the same time. And now they're showing that they can both be clinical after you could have possibly held question marks against them before. Um, well, going back to what you were saying, even when Luton weren't getting the results on the board, they were playing well. They're now getting results on the board and playing well. And you've got to be looking at the playoffs for this Luton side now. They're only one point off. They've got a big game against Stoke in the Nathan Jones derby <laughs> coming up this weekend. Um, but a positive result there. And then who knows where Luton could be ending up this season. Just days after second marker shop, Barnsley got only their second win of the season after beating Derby 2-1. I will never understand the mindset of footballers, Justin. Why didn't you play like this for your last manager? I don't get it. Yeah, the, I think the setup was slightly different because Barnsley were much more aggressive in their press. They were... Um, the, the, the wing backs were wide on every occasion. They they proved to be they, they the wing backs were key to winning this game for Barnsley because of how much they stretched the the derby um, the derby setup. It meant that that left gaps for um, the, the the forwards the Barnsley forwards to, to exploit in between, um, and that, that and that absolutely killed Derby. Um, make no mistake, Derby were very very poor, but Barnsley made them look very very poor. So you know you can question mindset, but I think I think it was a tactical shift more than anything than um, than players downing tools, shall we say? But it was very similar to the Ishmael side that we saw last season, wasn't yeah, it? Um, it was. Callum Styles playing at left wing back. I don't know why he's not been playing there more because he's been moved into centre mid quite often this season, anti. But he is his best position every time I've seen him is playing as a left wing back and then Callum Britton on the other side he was we good. were waxing lyrical about them last season weren't we and mm-hmm. uh, now Callum Britton gets two assists here Callum Styles looks much more comfortable playing as that left wing back and having a bit more you know room to roam uh, down the left hand side and that frees up space for the front three who were brilliant had a boy Ajo and Iseka both getting on the score sheet here um, so I don't see why Barnsley 
won't do this more often. Joseph Lauman, obviously the caretaker boss here, um, and he's given himself a good audition for the job, hasn't he? Yeah, if if he can get that out of the players on a consistent basis, that level of performance. I mean, Barnsley have improved over the last few weeks, and I think this was just sort of the pinnacle of it. The only criticism you've got is they didn't create too many chances, but I think that just comes down to confidence. Obviously, the losing streak was was a pretty hefty one, not winning only winning one game all season as well. That's going to have an impact, but that was a completely different Barnsley side to the one that. I think everybody's been watching um, and if you can get that out of the players then absolutely give them the job at least till the end of the season to see what he can do well they're only one point from safety now after this result and it was a much needed win wasn't it considering how uh, dreadful they have been so far this season I was going to say drab then and they mixed it up with dreadful so it's dreadful <laughs> um, <laughs> Derby Obviously, they're on a bit of a sticky patch now, aren't they? I think it's six games without a win. Mm -hmm. Are they now becoming the team many people were expecting them to be at the start of the season, do you think, Justin? Yeah, to, to be quite blunt, I think they are. They looked like they were they were tired. They couldn't get a handle on Barnsley um, last night. It was the same against Blackburn. They come up against two high-energy teams in the last uh, two games. And they've they've looked their age. Some of the players have looked their age. Ravel Morrison has looked like he's not played that many games in the last few seasons. Curtis Davis looks his age. Jagiel looks his age. Um, it, 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 make no mistake, it was a very poor display from Derby, but they're starting to look like the side who we tip to be bottom. Um, and it's a shame. I think that that level of spirit has probably dimmed a little bit, especially among supporters. I think everyone's sort of accepted the fate now. I still think there's a. a a chance of getting out of that bottom three but you perform like that on a consistent basis where players are making errors for Saif, uh, error for the first goal for the first Bonsley goals for example it's just not good enough and you need you need your experienced players to step up and, and unfortunately the last couple of games they haven't it's got to be said the squad is sorely lacking yeah. in depth isn't it? and I think that was always going to catch up with Derby eventually um, no matter how they were playing Um I didn't expect them to, it to catch up with them this soon, but mm -hmm. it could be a worrying sign of things to come if that is indeed the reason why their results have suddenly dropped off. Because if players are looking tired, then it's only going to be coming more often, isn't it? Because the games aren't stopping anytime soon. They're going to be coming thick and fast, yeah. even though we have got an international break coming up. Um, but we have obviously got Christmas coming up, which kind of evens that out. Um, so yeah, Derby, a bit concerning now, especially with another points deduction on the horizon. Five points at the bottom of the table and seven points from safety. So a lot of work on if Derby are going to try and run it close in terms of staying up. Birmingham have got three wins from three after beating Bristol City 3-0. A lot of threes said in that sentence. Um, this is one I called, Justin. I said not long ago that the team I expected to climb up the table was Birmingham City. They're doing just that at the moment. They are. And I think we said it the weekend. It's it's key. What's been key to them is taking chances. They had three shots on target in this game. I know they created a lot more than that, but they took all three shots, uh, scored all, scored all three of them, and um, they were they were very good. I think it helped that Bristol City weren't competitive. Uh, I think to be polite about them, but you've got players hitting form at the right time. Scott Hogan's always good for three or four goals in, in three or four games and you've got Riley McCree as well who's hitting form at a good time did the same thing sort of this time last year actually um, so yeah I uh, need to mention Jordan Graham as well who's been fantastic at right wing back for, for Birmingham City and I think he's been very helpful in, in, in creating more chances from that right hand side um, because his crossing ability is very good which is probably why Lee Bowie brought him in um, but as you say Birmingham City very uh, very well played allowed Bristol City to have a lot of the ball and, and took, their, took their chances um, and that's just the way Lee Bowie wants to play he's, he's happy to do that and um, that's going to pick up more points throughout the season 100% they are having a bit of an injury crisis which we'll talk about a bit more in the news but having said that they've got Reading at the weekend then and Hull after the international break so very winnable games coming up in the short term so who knows Birmingham can definitely keep this winning run going um, for the well, I say foreseeable future for the next two games at the very least because then it gets a bit tricky after that. Uh, but Scott Hogan's got two and two, which will be a massive confidence booster for them. He's missed some big chances this season, but he is, for me, the very very definition of a confidence striker, <laughs> isn't he? In the mm. way that once he gets a couple of goals under his belt, then it could help him kick on. So let's see if that happens for him here. Um, it's quite f funny with Bristol City because a couple of weeks ago we were defending Nigel Pearson after a small section of fans were saying he's getting sacked in the morning. However, I have become very concerned with Bristol City ever since then because they were very fortunate to win at the weekends against the worst team in the league this season, Barnsley. They made them look very good, actually. 
and now they've been thumped by Birmingham. I'm no, by no means ringing the bell for pacing out, but I am very worried that they're starting to look like the team that I think many were expecting to see this season, which would be on the periphery of the relegation zone. Because you look at the squad, it is lacking in certain areas. I think it's very mm-hmm. unbalanced, particularly going forwards. And you can't point the fingers at Pearson for that, but at the same time, they have still got the decent core of a decent squad here, haven't they? They do, but I think this game highlighted just how much of a soft touch some of those players players were. I think it was the, the final goal from Gary Gardner, who's been allowed to to walk into the box and he's got the freedom of, of Birmingham to head that into the, the back of the net it was really disappointing from Bristol City to to do that and when you're away from home you've got to be on it you've got to be on it because you'll get turned over quite easily um, especially in the championship so if you're not um, if you're not headstrong and you're not organised and disciplined then you're not going to get a result and, and Bristol City haven't been that in this game and you can argue they haven't been that quite a lot of times but I don't think that comes down to just Nigel Pearson. I think the squad is quite an average squad. It's a, it's a lower mid-table squad, and they're, they're being looked to, they're being made to look like a lower mid-table squad. It's as simple as that for me. I saw one Bristol City fan. They should get a say. They should get a young up-and-coming manager like Lee Johnson. Um, with them <laughs> <laughs> uh, Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about uh, Cardiff's loss to QPR and Stoke turning around their form at Blackpool. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Steve Morrison suffered his first loss as Cardiff caretaker boss. They were beaten 1-0 at home to QPR. Uh, just in thoughts on the game? It's more of the same from Cardiff. Um, I think that that, that uh, three-goal spell for them against Stoke was was um, a bit of a blip in, in the sense that Cardiff looked like a Mick McCarthy Cardiff in this game. They were very standoffish from QPR. I think it was the goal actually, QPR's goal. They they left, not left. Uh, well, actually, Andre Gray left. Had a lot of room to put that away with his run, but there was no press. There was no there was no um, push to engage with with QPR, and literally QPR just walked into the back of the goal, which is very disappointing from Cardiff's perspective. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think this was a Mick McCarthy performance from Cardiff. Um, they barely had anything going forwards after the goal um, and it was fairly comfortable for QPR really um, the assist from Andre Giselle for the Rangers goal was superb picking out the man of course the marking leaves a lot to be desired but picking out the man um, in that much space from that far away is pretty remarkable and hopefully he brings a lot more because he's not really featured that much for QPR so far this season but he's a really talented young player and someone mm. I want to see a lot more of um, in a Rangers shirt but yeah really disappointing for Cardiff just after I put some money on Steve Morrison to get the job full time um, they, they didn't really offer much did they and it was a, a fairly toothless performance as well not just offensively but going forward yeah well I mean we've come to expect it a little bit they I think um, I don't want to say they got lucky against Stoke but obviously they conceded three goals and they got back into it after Stoke folded had Stoke not folded and had been a bit more strong mentality uh, had a bit more of a strong mentality uh, at the weekend then then perhaps it would have been a different result but you expected Cardiff to kick on but as, as, as we've said already in the last minute or two it was more of the same from Cardiff very toothless up front um, Kiefer Moore feel sorry, sorry for him because there's not much service they struggle to get the, the likes of Colwell into the game as well. I don't think it's down to those the, that front three. I think it's down to what comes before it. The likes of Marlon Pack and Will Volks leave a lot to be desired in midfield. They're just workhorses, aren't they? they don't they don't offer much in possession, um, and it, and it shows. And especially from a creativity point of view, if your wing backs aren't performing for Cardiff, then they've got no chance of creating anything. Pretty much, I think they're desperate for January to come around, aren't they? So they can bring in some new players and have a bit more to work with for a manager, whoever that manager may very well be. Because right now, no matter who you've got in the dugout, they're having to deal with an unbalanced squad, which hasn't got much in terms of attack. Mm -hmm. Um, Stoke turned around their poor form by beating Blackpool 1-0. Stephen Fletcher got the only goal late on. But should he have still been on the pitch, Justin? Early on, he was a bit of a naughty boy when kicking Jordan Lawrence-Gabriel. Um... Yeah, you could say he's lucky. I think 
that was what I was alluding to earlier. There were some decisions that uh, that that weren't picked up, and some that were from from referees over the week. Um, but nonetheless, uh, they've just got a win, which is massively important for them. And you're quite right. Should Stephen Fletcher put on the pitch? Probably not. Was he offside for the winner? Maybe there's question marks there as well. A lot of question marks from officiating, but nonetheless, it's a big win for Stoke and uh, a different kind of performance from Stoke as well that we expected. Yeah, it was a much more um, well-managed mm-hmm. performance, I think is a good way of putting it. And they actually limited Blackpool to not very much, which is not something that's they've been able to say very much this season because Blackpool have actually been quite good going forwards. But this was, a, I think, probably a deserved win in the end for Stoke, who created much better chances as the game went on. Mm-hmm. Um, and a much-needed three points, as we say, because uh, they were looking a bit... A bit worrying, considering how their recent form has been with just one point from four games. Uh, West Brom won, Hall nil. Carl and Grant getting the only goal halfway through the second half. This game went pretty much as you'd expect. West Brom knocking on the door for virtually the whole thing. And it only seemed a matter of time before the Baggies eventually scored. Yeah, the goal came from West Brom being very good out of possession. Uh, they definitely are an out of possession team, aren't they? With Livermore, who's a very good ball winning midfielder, um, hassling Hull, pressuring them into a mistake, and it played them in. Uh, it played the, the West Brom forwards in, as you say, and from Hull. Um, I don't think you can argue too much because West Brom are very good at shutting outside, but Hull did not threaten at all in this game. Um, I saw the away support for Hull, and I've got a put my hat off to those who went to that game because it's very difficult to support them at the moment under Grant McCann and the Alum. so fair play to them but as you say West Brom control performance it was only going to go one way wasn't it yeah this was um, never had any sign of being a bit of a shock the only thing you could really hope for was Hall maybe nicking a point but it didn't seem likely considering West Brom should have been ahead earlier on in the game but uh, they eventually got there in the end um, bit concerning that it took so long for it to come. I think mm-hmm. they're relying a bit on Carl and Grant to actually put the ball in the back of the net when um, when they are dominating games, which hasn't happened as much as Bournemouth and Fulham. Um, but Carl and Grant seems to be the only one who actually knows where the back of the net is for them at the moment. But he's not a bad player to have putting the ball in the ball in the back of the net is because he's, he's when good. he's on form he's a very very good striker in, in the battle between two teams who it's really hard to nail down how good they are it finished Forest 1 Sheffield United 1 the big talking point was a penalty shout for Forest. Brennan Johnson brought down midway through the second half but he was booked for diving instead Steve Cooper was not a very happy man afterwards Justin what did you think I, I agree with the referee on this one um, really? and yeah I do because the, a fan recorded it and I saw a fan clip who's literally in front of it and um, if there's any contact it's incredibly minimal not enough to make Brennan Johnson go over the way he did um, <clears throat> so I'm glad the referee pulled it up and, and booked Brennan Johnson because it, I, I think it was I think it was a dive but it could have gone either way it was very convincing I wouldn't have blamed the referee for giving it I don't think it was as blatant as the Middlesbrough one which was quite yeah. a similar one but the Middlesbrough one seemed a stonewall penalty for me um, so I wouldn't have blamed the referee for not giving it but I wouldn't have blamed him for giving it I don't think it was a dive I think that was harsh mm-hmm. from a from the referee to give him a booking for that as well uh, but there were certainly signs of encouragement for both teams Chris Basham came back into the side he was brilliant Something somebody Sheffield United I think have actually missed quite a lot um, at the back Ryan Brewster played on the right and was quite good uh, possibly great but was all right and if that's the best position for him then I'm looking forward to seeing him a bit more there because he's someone who considering the <laughs> caliber that he's got should mm-hmm. be featuring a bit more often for Sheffield United and then for Forrest Brennan Johnson was class as per usual was causing uh, the main problems for uh, Sheffield United and then Jed Spence was actually really good as well and it's actually been quite good in general for Forrest Ante which makes it all the more surprising yeah. when you remember he's on loan from Middlesbrough in summary a win uh, would have been very handy for both sides but you're kind of rich unhappy to have thrown away the lead Cooper unhappy about the penalty decision that makes it even so draw is probably a fair result it's a very draw game isn't it <laughs> let's be honest it was, yeah, a dual, yeah. it was a dual game in the first half as well so absolutely a draw um the fair result here and i think you've, you've pretty much nailed it you, we don't know how good either either of these sides are i don't think either manager knows exactly what his best team is yet either which is more striking that he kind of doesn't you know yet but there we go that's where we're at yeah he's still trying to find the right uh he's still trying to put all the jigsaw 
pieces into the right place into at the moment since <laughs> considering there are a lot of jigsaw puzzle pieces in this squad it's a, it may take a bit of time for Jukanovic to finally figure it out Millwall 1 Reading 0 Benekfobi's goal the only thing separating the two sides and a very competitive game Justin it was but I think Millwall were the deserved winners um, could argue they should have maybe won by one or two more I thought Millwall defended really well and uh, restricted Reading to some Quarter chances, not quite half chances, but some quarter chances. I don't know if that's a thing, but I'm going, I'm going to make it a thing now from now on because it's quite a useful way of uh, describing just how lackluster a team was going forward. Um, but it was, a, it was a big win for Millwall. I think the only criticism is, can they do more? Can they get more out of this very good group of players? Um, and that's where the, the criticism for Albert comes in. But nonetheless, it's a win and a clean sheet for Millwall, which, which keeps them ticking along. Worrying signs for Reading, maybe. I think they are a Lucas Shaw away from picking up more results, though. To be fair to Gary Rowett, he's made a bit of a masterstroke by moving Ryan Leonard to right back, of course, usually a midfielder, but he's now got three assists in his last four, including the one for a phobie here, so that's turning out to be a really good move. And Millwall have now actually got 15 points from a possible 21, so pretty good going really, and not far off from the playoffs. Uh, mm. They're going to need to see more goals from the likes of a phobie though, if they are going to get... Yeah anywhere near them um, but positive signs nonetheless for the Lions um, I hate to keep going on about it Justin but Reading are really struggling without a decent striker aren't they as you say um, Lucas Yao they're a Lucas Yao away from being a decent side again but they didn't have a shot on target here as a result of having George Puskas up front who is it's getting very sad watching him play football at the moment um, but yeah Reading obviously with the news off the pitch which we'll go on to very shortly Justin um, a bit concerning because with a nine point deduction they would be in the relegation zone so want to keep an eye on there and finally a late Johnson Clark Harris goal rescued a vital point for Peterborough at home to Huddersfield it finished one all there only thing I've written down for this game was Danny Ward has got a marvellous moustache and long hair combo going on he's looking very very suave at the moment it's a bit like a 80s Hollywood actor <laughs> it's, um, it's the look I'd go for if I could grow my hair long but my hairline does not uh, does not play ball with that but you're quite right he's a, he's a handsome chap there's quite a few quite a few guys sporting hairbands at the minute throughout I think Callum Britton um, as well for Barnes is looking looking pretty suave of his but um, I'm surprised I've, I've I've gone off track here and now talking about hair and moustaches rather than actual football um, but what, why, why can't you grow long hair what's stopping you surely if you've got you know a receding hairline which I, hmm. I, I won't profess to not having um, <laughs> surely the long hair covers it up doesn't it you can just kind of get away with it I've got a big forehead in general anyway even if I had a full hairline I'd have a big forehead I'd look a bit like Ant McPartland I think but with long hair okay I'm trying to think of people who have receding hairlines and long hair like Hulk Hogan (laughs) (laughs) if I could could rock a a bandana like him with that much confidence I'd 100% do it but um I don't. I don't have his confidence. Let's be honest. Should go for the bleach blonde hair as well. Why not? I'd, I'd dye the mustache as well. If Derby stay up, I might do that. There we go. I'm writing that down. <laughs> Justin has really sold himself there. Yeah. Right now, it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll start off by talking about the big news from the past few days, Justin, and that is that Barnsley have sacked head coach Marcus Shop after a run of seven straight losses and one win all season. We spoke about this in plenty of depth on the Second Tier YouTube channel as soon as the news broke on Monday, so make sure you subscribe to us on there to get our thoughts on more breaking news stories uh, to do with the championship. But Justin, we'll talk about it briefly now. Wasn't really a surprise, was it, considering how bad Barnsley have been no you're obviously you're quite right they were they were really poor quite easily the worst team in the league probably fairly level with Hull but maybe slightly worse they looked terrible going forwards they were conceding sloppy goals there was just a very bad mix of um, bad football essentially and a lack of game plan a lack of uh, tactical identity it just wasn't the right appointment it happens if they, they probably could have made a decision a bit earlier to to make sure that they, they gave themselves a little bit more time to get out of trouble, but alas, we're here now and um, they picked up their first win, which is a positive under under Joseph Lauman. It, it was just one of them that clearly wasn't working, was it? Mm. It had to happen because um, 
they were looking really, really poor. They had shown signs of encouragement, finally, in that Bristol City game at the weekend just gone. But apart from that, there has been nothing else. They've had no clear identity. Marcus Sharp um, has looked like a man who knew that he was struggling to get the best out of these players. Mm -hmm. And it was a team that finished in the playoffs last season, minus two very talented players. But nonetheless, the players who were there last season were underperforming and really struggling. So, yeah, it wasn't really a surprise. Um, it had to happen sooner rather than later. This was just an appointment Barnsley got wrong, which we haven't said very recently for mm -hmm. them for quite some time. So um, it'll be interesting to see who takes over now. From the last time I checked, the favourite was former Newport boss Michael Flynn, who I think is also favourite for the Cardiff job. Second favourite is the current caretaker boss at Barnsley, Joseph Lauman. Other names who have been linked include Mick McCarthy, who is a Barnsley fan, and Alex Neal. Which way do you think they should go, Justin? Um, I was very impressed with Barnsley against Derby. Uh, obviously, under Joseph Lauman's setup, they they had a bit more of the Ishmael about them, but a little bit of Struber as well. There's a nice mix. There was a good press. There wasn't. Um, they weren't too direct either, which was uh, easy on the eyes. But um, yeah, it remains to be seen whether or not he can he can get them going. If he can, surely should go to him. But I think Michael Flynn's a very good shout. Mick McCarthy, I don't necessarily agree with, but I understand it. But the top two, Flynn and Lauman, would be my top two choices I think if they get McCarthy they'll stay up because um, he, he's got the championship experience and knows how to work with a team that is struggling and turn them around um, well I can't say that about the Cardiff job but <laughs> what I mean is in the current circumstances he, he'd get this team to stay up and turn them around from how they are now um, it, it's just a case of whether Barnsley go for someone who has a bit more experience of English football someone mm -hmm. like Michael Flynn someone like Mick McCarthy or whether they go for the Central Europe option again which I think is their most likely um, possibility which is why I think Joseph Lauman is probably the leading candidate at the moment, considering he is the caretaker boss and has had a good start mm -hmm. um, in his time in charge of the team. So I, I think he'd be the most likely candidate, but they may have somebody in mind from Central Europe. I won't even hazard a guess as to who they're <laughs> thinking of, because I don't have a clue. Um, my knowledge of the Austrian Bundesliga isn't as good as it possibly should be, considering that's where Barnsley seem to get all their managers from. Um, an announcement is expected soon on Reading's points deduction, of According to the Reading Chronicle, the Royals will have nine points taken off them, as previously reported in September. It's after Reading spoke spending rules. Um, I don't think we'll spend too much time on this, Justin, because we've spoken about it before, haven't we? We knew it was coming at some point. It was just a matter of how many points were going to be taken off, but it seemed like Reading are settling for the nine points. And nine points is a big old docking, isn't it? It is, but for me, I think Reading have got enough quality to get out of um, get out of trouble should they land them in trouble, I think it will get them quite... I think, are they 10 points above the, the bottom three now? Something around there. Um, they, they'd be in the bottom three. Okay, but, yeah, but this. they've got enough quality in their squad to get out of it. They're, they're No disrespect to the teams that are down there, but they are better than all. They are better than Peterborough. They are better than Barnsley, Cardiff. Um, and they've got key players to come back in as well. So not too worried about them going down, but the remit should be escape relegation this season. Make sure you don't get dragged into a battle. Well, there's some news later on which may throw that into doubt but we'll wait for that a bit later um, because according to the Sun Fulham wonder kid Fabio Carvalho has turned down a quote sizable contract offer from the club the cottages are said to be unlikely to make another offer at this stage and Carvalho's out of contract in the summer of course he's been linked with a host of Premier League clubs and also the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona um, it sounds like we're not going to see much of Carvalho for the rest of the season because that would go some way to explaining why he hasn't been featuring much recently. Um, and it seems like Fulham are reluctant to play him if he is just going to be running down his contract. I guess that's fair. Um, it's it's interesting one whether or not or, or what, why uh, Carvalho sees his, his future away from the club. Um, for me, uh, there have been a lot of examples from Fulham, especially um, about some of the youngsters moving on a bit too soon. The likes of Patrick Roberts comes to mind. I think Matt Riley is another one as well. Um, although he didn't get as much game time. Or Harvey Ellis on the other end of the spectrum where it worked out for him, but they're at different Ryan stages. Sessignon. Ryan Sessignon. Yep, not worked out for him as, at Spurs, has it? So there are a lot of examples of it not working out, less examples of it working out. Um, for me, I think he'd be better off staying at Fulham because if he performs well this season, Fulham get promoted. Um and he's got a chance of performing in the Premier League, he will get game time because he was 
key to Fulham at the start of the season. Um, so him coming out of the team now, it, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. I don't know who's advising him. Um, I don't know if it's the right advice. I, I, I would disagree with it, but I think he'd be better off suited at Fulham than going to a Chelsea or Liverpool or what have you. It's interesting because I, for me, Fabio Carvalho is one of the best talents we've seen in the Championship for mm-hmm. quite some time, possibly ever, because he, he was playing unbelievably in those first few games before he got injured. I'm going to use quotation marks for injured considering the news that we've just mentioned, but nonetheless. <laughs> um, and he, he's a real, real talent and I expect him to have a big future in the game. But it is interesting whether staying at Fulham would have been the right choice for him or not. Um, I think if you move to a big club now, then you're guaranteed to get at least a payday under your belt. Um but is it the best for your development in the long term when you could be playing regular football for Fulham? Possibly not. And you're quite right. It looks like Fulham will eventually get promoted one way or another this season. Um, and having, you know, playing regular football in the Championship before playing regularly in the in the Premier League with Fulham um, would be great for his development quite frankly wouldn't it because otherwise mm-hmm. he's just going to be sat on the bench or playing in the under 23s for a big club for quite some time you imagine um, before maybe eventually playing for a big club eventually but it's one of them where um, I think maybe he's had some advice from other people um, not involved in the game who say well maybe you should be thinking about doing this mm-hmm. but uh, it is unfortunate for Fulham they're, they're going to be losing out on a lot of money for a very talented player Tahef Chong has been recalled from Birmingham by Manchester United. It's after he suffered a groin injury, which Lee Bowyer says happened fairly innocuously. Apparently, he just passed a ball and that was it. Um, it's claimed he's going to be out until the end of February. They showed on Tuesday night that they can cope without him, Justin, but it is a big blow, isn't it? It's a massive blow. I think, yes, when I saw 16 weeks, I was like, Jesus. Um, and obviously, I saw that he um, was, was going back to Man United. It's, it's a massive shame because he was looking at a, a superb player for Birmingham City, but... I think the main thing for Birmingham is making sure that they fill that void left by him. Um, the likes of Jordan Graham is chipping in with with creative, uh, with the creative juices, which which is massively helpful. But massive, massive blow that we're not able to to watch a very, very good player at this level for uh, the foreseeable future. Well, Birmingham are a side which aren't blessed with much creativity mm. anyway, and he was obviously their most creative player. So it's a big blow in that sense. But they're actually very light on bodies all of a sudden because Riley McGree's loan is coming to an end in January. Jordan Graham and Dion Sanderson both went off with injuries on Tuesday and Maxime Collan is already out. So it's a bit worrying at the moment. Lebo has already admitted that they need to get bodies in as soon as possible. In, in an interesting move, Bright Enoch Bakari has mutually cancelled his contract with Coventry after only signing a two-year deal in the summer. Apparently Mark Robbins and Mark Robbins was just saying that he just didn't really seem to fit in with the squad, which is an interesting one. He apparently he's a bit of a maverick um, <laughs> off the pitch, but uh, yeah, an interesting one. That's going to be interesting to see where he turns up next because he's one of them who um, is seemed to be very highly rated by coaches, but doesn't, you know, produce it on the pitch all that yeah. often. But we'll wait and see. Reading boss Velko Panovic has tested positive for COVID. He's now self-isolating and missed the Millwall match on Tuesday. Also won't be there for the Birmingham game this weekend. Speaking of Reading, Ovi Ajaria could choose to play for Nigeria internationally. Now, you might think, oh, that's nice. Why does it matter? Well, I'll tell you why it matters, Justin, you ignorant boy. Mm. Need to remind you that the African Cup of Nations is happening soon. So that means Reading could lose Ijaria for a number of weeks. They're already set to lose Andy Yudum and Baba Rahman, who both play for Garmina. So you've got this Reading team, which is pretty thin on numbers anyway set to lose three very important players, which is not ideal. Yeah, I've got a bit of a wince on my face. That is not uh, not nice at all. Um, I don't know. I mean, Reading has struggled to bring in the numbers as well. They've struggled with injuries in this first half of the season. You've seen how much it's held them back. So this is a big, 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 big blow. <laughs> it's frustrating from a Reading perspective. It's a, a key point as well, a very key point in the season. So, yeah, you, you, just, you just throw your hands in the air and go, God, for fuck's sake, here we go. <laughs> Stoke striker Jacob Brown has been called up to the Scotland squad for the first time despite being born in Halifax. He qualifies for Scotland through his grandparents. Whose job is it to go through all the players in the FL and check whether their grandma was born in Scotland or not? I don't know how 
these things come about. I always find it very interesting. Mm. Anyway, there's been a right old hoo-ha about the latest championship games, which have been moved for TV. Bournemouth's game away at Middlesbrough has been moved to a 12.30 lunchtime kickoff. It's a five and a half hour trip for Bournemouth fans for that particular away game. Meanwhile, Derby only have one 3pm Saturday home game for the rest of the year. Their Boxing Day game has also been moved to the day after. It means Derby fans haven't had a Boxing Day home fixture since 2015. What do you think, Justin? Has that riled you? That completely passed me by, but it, that is very frustrating. Um, actually, I saw all the I saw all the fixtures, and they did annoy me uh, as much as everybody else. We're at the mercy of Sky. It's a shame we don't get a bigger cut of the money in the championship because we get faffed around more than anyone. So it's frustrating. It's frustrating, but what can we do? I feel for them Bournemouth fans having to go up to Borough for a 12.30 kickoff as well. It's it's just not it's not on really, is it? Let's be honest. Yeah, that's an early get-up, isn't it? Mm. And finally, for anyone wondering whether I've been having any more sleep-talking episodes involving championship managers, I'm afraid to say I have not. We'll bring you more on this as we get it. Now it's time for this. All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Thank you, Mr. Bartender. This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week, I am giving Justin six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. All he's got to do is guess who it is. The score for the season so far is 4-2 to myself after I guessed Eddie Lewis last week. We're having a bit of a back and forth at the moment, aren't we? Whether uh, Where I get it right, then you get it right. Hopefully that ends today and I manage to build up a bit of a lead for myself. Why are you pulling that face for? Stop with these tactics. This is You're trying to get in my head, all right? I'm not having it. Well, we're, we're I'll stop with the tactics if it doesn't keep working. <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> Let's go. Um, Come Justin, on. I, will, I will say this. These might be the best set of clues ever. I'm going to be okay. very disappointed if you get this straight away. <laughs> um, I made 205 championship appearances, scoring 50 goals. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a, one, in f- a one in four, man. Um, Lassa Vibe. <laughs> he, surely he's not made 205 championship no. appearances and also hasn't got one in four, I don't think. I think he had a good record at Brentford. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll let you off. Um, I made my debut in English football for Manchester United in 2007, coming on as a substitute for Michael Carrick. 2007. Ah, um, oh God. He's struggling. He's struggling, ladies and gentlemen. It's not, it's uh, not Chris Eagles, is it? It's not Chris Eagles. He hasn't got one in four at Championship yeah, level. Know, you know, you never know. <laughs> I joined Tottenham on loan in 2008 as part of Dimitar Berbatov's transfer to Manchester United. He's got his hands up, ladies and gentlemen. I'm aloft. Fraser Campbell. <laughs> I thought that would... I put that in because I thought it would throw you off because I completely forgot he played for Spurs. Um, yeah, I think he only played like three or four games, didn't he? He didn't play much, but that is... Do you remember that transfer at all? Yeah, yeah. I like Fraser well, Campbell. I'm not like I'm not like a Fraser Campbell super fan. I didn't know his record was that good either. Um, no, I didn't. But yeah, that loan spell that was that was the giveaway. I think you led you God very you led very well. Like I'd have, I'd have probably forgotten about Hull to be honest with you. What are the, what are the other well, clues? The other clues I put down were I played for three teams at Championship level, including Cardiff and Huddersfield. I wouldn't have got it. Well, mm, I'd I'd forgot about Cardiff. So. I also forgot about Cardiff. I picked up my one and only cap for England in 2012, although it led to me missing the birth of my first child, who was born at exactly the same time I came on as a substitute. That's very nice. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, have got, nice. I wouldn't have got that. I, if you'd have left with that international cap, that would have thrown me completely. I'd be interested to know if you would have got this final one. The final clue was, I set up Dean Windass- Windass's famous volley in the 2008 playoff final. Yeah, would you have got that? I'd have got that, yeah. I wouldn't have got that. I I feel like a championship expert should know that, but I didn't know that. So, good thing you got it early on. Yeah, it's that Spurs one. For some reason, it's that bit of trivia, useless trivia that I just remember. 
completely passed me by. Honestly, did I? I was in shock when I looked at his Wikipedia yesterday. Anyway, that means it's four three now for the season. To myself, I can regain my two point lead next week. We'll have to actually, we won't do it next week because it's international break. Um, so it'll be two weeks now until we are next meet again, Justin, in the Craig Bryson pub quiz. But we will be back again on Sunday to go through all the weekend games in the championship. So we look forward to seeing you once again, ladies and gentlemen, then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening.